Amen. Good singing. Hey, Winter's here. I didn't know if you all knew it or not, but I just decided to show up a little bit early. Amen. Glad you came. If you have your Bibles this morning, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. <laughs> you know, it's going to be one of them days you're starting out apologizing already. <laughs> you're just getting it out of the way, aren't you? <laughs> You know, I don't mind snow. You know what I, I don't like? You're like, all right, tell us, preacher. I don't like it when it's sloppy. You know, mud and snow. and I like it just to freeze like it's kind of doing right now. Just freeze it and make it, and then it's easy plowing. <laughs> I don't like the slop season. Not that you asked or cared to hear about my, uh, my, 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 my rant. All right, let's pray. Father, we sure love you. Thank you, Lord, for the snow. Thank you, Lord, for the songs this morning that told us that uh, when we got saved, you washed our sins as white as snow. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ, the death on the cross. Father, thank you, Lord, that we know you're coming back soon. And you give us a brand new body. We'll have the mind of Christ. And Father, Lord, we'll never have to worry about sin again. We'll be delivered forever from the power and the presence of sin. We thank you for it. Father, I pray that you'd open our eyes, Lord. I pray that you'd teach us something from your word. Lord, teach me. Uh, Lord, I'm just a student of your word. I'm sure thankful for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we left off going into verse 5, but as, uh, it's kind of a disjointed thought. I want to jump back to verse 4 here. And if you look at that with him, I've says, So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that she endures. So this church, it's a growing church, right? And you see here, right in verse 4, it's growing in patience, it's growing in faith. And, uh, and the reason it's growing in those things is not because of its intense Bible study. Now, I, I'm not trying to discourage Bible study, and that what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to study the Word, amen? Study to show thyself approved unto God. And I'll tell you what, uh, if if you find a good study, I'm, I'm there. I like a good Bible study. It just feeds a, feeds a soul. It, it feeds my head, too. I don't care how you look at it. It feeds that thing right there, and uh, you uh, learn more about the knowledge of God. But the reason they're growing is not connected to all study, and that's one of the practical things you need to take away. The reason they're a growing church is because they're being persecuted, and they're going through trouble. And part of your growth as a Christian is uh, it's not just all Bible study. Yes, you and I should study our Bible. We should read our Bible, amen? And that's a, that's a good thing. That's a given thing, isn't it? We know that. It's not like, oh, I didn't know that, you know? But we just, we understand it. And many times, because we know this stuff so much, we're less likely to do it. But there's a period and there's a pattern of growth in the Christian that, never gets tapped into sometime because some Christians will not allow troubles. They'll not allow trials and tribulations. And he says, for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. So there's something to do with a Christian going through trouble. 
and putting up with it. You see it? You endure. Uh, you ever notice when you got kids or grandkids or you're watching the kids or children's church or something, and anytime they, something goes on they don't like, or you're at Walmart somewhere, they pitch a fit. That, that time, that's like a Christian. The Lord's trying to put you through some things, and if you're not careful, you'll just pitch a fit. And finally, the Lord will be like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I thought you wanted to grow. I thought you wanted to, you know, move out of kindergarten and into first grade. And you're just, you know, taking a temper tantrum, right? Take another trip around Mount Sinai till you learn your lesson, right? <laughs> and sometimes the Lord just, he'll lay it on you because he wants you to grow. You'll see a little bit more this morning that God has brought you to the place where you need to grow, and you've got some decisions to make about that growth. You continue growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But here you've got a growing church, and it's growing because it's enduring some difficult things that it has to deal with. The Lord's allowed to put them through it. Remember, we're appointed unto affliction, right? You can't stop and think that every time you go through something difficult, it's because of your own stupidity. Yes, we make dumb decisions, Amen. Yes, we do things, and the Lord knows that. The Lord knows your dust. He knows your flesh, right? Don't think for 30 seconds that, that you have to just, there's this such rigidity in the Christian life that you're not allowed to use your personality at all, and that for every time you have a bump in the road, it's because you're some wicked, rotten sinner. You are, but hey, look, the, look you're going to go through some things as a Christian that's not related to Bible study. What will happen is you'll get a taste for the Word of God sometimes in your Christian life, <clears throat> and then you know what you'll have to fight and face? Listen, now I know what I'm talking about. You'll have to fight and face whether or not you're going to spend all your time studying and reading the Bible, or you're going to go ahead and do what God told you to do and be a son or be a daughter or be a husband, right? Others oh, period of time, my Christian life, not confession time, but hey, I went through it. And I was so excited about the Word of God, all I want to do is read and study the Bible. Well, let me tell you what, when you've got a wife and children, you can't do that unless you're going to be an idiot. And I've met brothers and sisters in the Lord, and they're so spiritual, they don't know what to do with themselves. I read my Bible for six hours today. All right, your house is a rat trap, man. You might want to clean it up, right? Okay, your house looks like Sanford's son. Great testimony, pal. Glad you like that in the community. Amen. You see what I mean? And what happens is it's not just Bible study alone. The Lord began to deal with you. He'll start putting you through some things, and it's a growth thing. And he says, uh, for your patience and faith, and I don't know if that made sense, all right? And I just gave you one, one thing. What happens, another, another example is this. The Lord will start burdening you about passing out tracts because people don't pass out tracts. Now, some of you do, and I'm not getting after you. We'll let the Lord do that. But if we were passing out tracts, we would have to fill that regularly, Okay? But they're there. But listen, your salvation does not depend upon how many tracks you pass out. Is that a blessing? But at some point in time in your Christian life, you have to realize there's tracks that I can pass out. Right? It's not like, huh, I'm required to pass out tracks. And I'm not spiritual unless... No, it's like, look, there's a track rack that I get to take advantage of. You could buy your own tracks. You could put your own name on the back and phone number, help yourself, stick them in the 30 packs or whatever it is and all that stuff. Uh, usually the, the most 30 packs you'll find is Bush, not that I drink Bush, but that I just always see them in Walmart when I go. But at some point in your Christian life, you're going to realize, I get to do that. I, I, get, I get to hit that box on the way out. 
Amen. You don't, you're not required to. And a lot of people, a lot of Christians are often brought up in Christian homes that are good Christian homes, but they're often brought in the second, third generation Christianity that they are required to do this, this, and this. That's the book of Galatians. You're not required to do anything. Now look, some people are afraid to preach that because it's like the sales company. If you tell someone they're not required to go do something, you automatically think they're not going to go do anything at all. So then the boss says, no, you're not required, but it sure would be nice if you would. I'm going a step further. When Jesus Christ saved you, he took the requirements off of you. Right? Exodus chapter 20, or 21 rather. You're that servant, you're that slave, and he set you free. He made you free. So if he made you free, what do you have to do? Nothing. But now, because of his grace, now you get to do things that please him. Because before you were saved, you never could. You could, you could spend all your time at the, whatever you call it, Knights of Columbus or uh, the Lions Club and uh, whatever it is that helps the, the, the retarded kids. That's Lions Club. And, and everything else and all these charities in the, in the community. But now you get to. That's the mindset. Even Bible-believing Baptists are so tripped up on that thing because they, many times they'll, they'll come into church and a preacher says, you got to do this and you got to do this and you got to do that. You don't got to do anything to be saved. <laughs> you see what I mean? So here's tribulation, here's persecution, and it's growing this church. And it's not just going to be done through Bible study alone. Look at verse 5, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. All right, so in verse 4 he says, The persecution and tribulations that you endure are the manifest token of the righteous judgment of God. Why? Why? So that you can be counted worthy. Now, here's an important doctrine, and we got into it pretty heavy. I'm just going to write the scripture references up here, but this is extremely important. The reason it's important is because if you want to be worthy of the kingdom of God, now listen, this is not required for your salvation, but if you want to be counted worthy for the kingdom of God, then there's some things that you're going to have to go through. That's the doctrine we're covering. First of all, you find that thing beginning over in Colossians chapter 3, verse 24. Colossians 3, verse 24 and 25. And over there in Colossians 3, 24 and 25, not going to read the verses again, but it has to do with your service to Jesus Christ done with the right motive is what determines whether or not you'll reign with Jesus Christ. So that's Colossians chapter 3, uh, 24 and 25. Then you got Romans chapter 8. A very important doctrine, I believe it's 15 through 17, talking about if you suffer with Jesus Christ, then you'll also reign with him. All right? That, ha- that is your being counted worthy. <clears throat> All right? You want to be counted worthy of uh, the kingdom of God? We're not talking about are you saved. Look, when you got saved, John 1.12, but as many as received him to them gave you power to become the sons of God. That ain't going away if you're saved. Aren't you glad? But there are going to be several sons in glory that are not worthy to be sons. I'm not talking about the fact that we should all be in hell with gasoline britches on. I understand that. I'm not saying like, look, there are some things that you did probably this week or maybe just thought that you should be in hell. I understand that. We're talking about worthy of the kingdom of God being, being able to suffer and endure. That means God can put some things on you as a Christian 
that will then enable you to rule and reign with him when he's glorified at the second advent. Because of the second advent, he comes back, right? On the white horse, Revelation chapter 19. That's where they got uh, Zorro from, right? That's where they get Superman from. You're going to leave this world like Superman, come back like the Lone Ranger. Nothing new under the sun. Hollywood, they got everything that worth anything at all out of the Bible. But you're going to have to learn as a Christian there's some things you have to suffer to be able to be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. It's nothing to do with your salvation. It has everything to do with your ability to rule and reign. This is an important doctrine. All right? <clears throat> and a lot of Christians think, well, if I just, if I just get busy like Martha, right? And hey, you know what? A Christian that loves the Lord, I believe personally, will be busy for the Lord. Okay, two and the rest were like, yeah, let me check my planner. <laughs> Get back with you on that, you know. But if you love the Lord, I believe you'll be busy about what? The Father's business. Jesus Christ said, I must be about my Father's business. Well, where's the Father's business? Well, I, I don't, I, you know, I just don't have my own ministry. Well, first of all, the vehicle that God uses is what? The local church. So if you want to be busy for the Lord, one of the ways in which you can do that is to do everything you possibly can to further that local church, which is a representation of saved, born-again believers in this area. Amen. And I believe saved people ought to be about the Father's business. But here's the thing, it's got to be for the right motive. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Well, that's a big old fifth wheel out there. Yeah. ADHD at its best. Sorry, right here behind the pulpit. Amen. Right, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 15 to 17 talks about uh, if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. And we just said this, that Christ is glorified at the second advent when he comes back. Amen. And if you want to be glorified with Christ, then you're going to have to learn how to suffer. You're going to have to learn to allow those afflictions in your life that come, and you're going to have to learn to go through them the right way. And the thing of it is, is you and I don't always go through afflictions the right way. We don't always suffer the right way. When affliction and suffering come, sometimes we're like that little kid in Walmart that just needs to be taken out back and, well, just given an old-fashioned whooping, amen? <laughs> Donna Roosevelt probably told this before, and this... Uh, little colored baby was just, just tearing it up. I mean, down in Roseville, that's, that's a rough area. And this big old mama, she just started wailing on him. And I said, amen, sister. I said, get him. And she's looking at me like I'm the devil or something. I said, I said amen, sick him. <laughs> and some Christians, you know, they need that, amen. But uh, it, you need to learn how to go through some things. And God puts that stuff on you, not because he hates you, not because he wants you to be miserable, but because he wants to prove you. He wants to prove me. He wants to give me some things that I can go through. And, and, and because when I get to the judgment seat of Christ, he wants me to be able to say, see, I went through it right. I suffered right. I handled it right. I didn't, I didn't go off the rails every time. <laughs> Amen. When you start suffering at first, and if you're not used to suffering, if you're used to things being sunny and 70, all of a sudden, you, you know what I mean? When you start getting up in years and you start serving the Lord, and all of a sudden that trouble comes, you're like, <laughs> hold that thought. I'm not up for this gig. 
And then all of a sudden, you notice that stuff coming like a wave, don't you? And then it comes, and then it settles. And you're like, oh, I think I've been here before. <laughs> and you don't always handle it, right? But he's given you that, he's given you that affliction. He's given you that persecution. He's given you that trouble. He's given you that trial. Why? He's trying to prove you. He's trying to see what you're worth. You say, well, what am I worth? I don't know. How are you going through it? Can you go through it patiently? Amen. And, of course, uh, one, an, another great passage of Scripture for this doctrine of ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ is 2 Timothy uh, chapter uh, 2, verses 9 to 12. Now, you should be very, very well acquainted, acquainted with these references. Paul talks about in verse 9, he says, 2 Timothy 2, 9, Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus which is with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live. Now notice 12, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he, will also, he also will deny us. Now look, that suffering has nothing to do with someone stealing a, a, your favorite candidate sign out of your front yard, okay? We're talking about suffering for Jesus Christ. Come on, that was funny. I'm seeing if you're awake this morning. It has nothing to do with, uh, you, you know, someone just cut in front of you at, lo- at Walmart or something. <laughs> We're talking about you living your life as a Christian, how God wants you to live, and because you're doing right, he allows persecution to come your way. That's what we're talking about. <clears throat> and uh, you'll be persecuted uh, through loss of finances for living for the Lord. Listen, I'm, I know what I'm talking about. I'm not the poster child, but you're going to suffer the loss of finances. You're going to suffer the loss of friends. Somebody say amen besides Taylor. Amen. <laughs> you all are asleep this morning. I understand. You're going to suffer the loss of friends. Some of you found out, and I, I don't have this great gaping complex here, but some of you found out even where you go to church many times will dictate certain friends that will want to be your friends or not. You say, why? There's a stigma connected with the book. There is. All right, not only will you lose finances, you lose friends, sometimes you lose family. Can I tell you this? I thought for many years that I would never have much of a relationship with part of my family, but after almost 20 years, almost 20 years, the Lord brought me back into loving favor with certain members of my family. That's a blessing. You say, what does that mean? Hang in there. Keep going. Learn to suffer. You say, did you do it all right? No, do you? <laughs> but just, you do what's right. And when family forsake you, you keep doing right. Why? Because he's proving you. He's proving you. And many times it'll be many years of those family mem- members watching you to see what you're doing, and the Lord might line that thing up later. He might, he might not, all right? <clears throat> so if we suffer with him, then you'll be able to reign with him. Of course, he can't deny our sonship, amen? That's not what he's talking about in verse 12. What he's talking about in verse 12 is the opportunity to rule and reign with Jesus Christ in eternity. And I know many of you know that, but I want you to be able to get a hold of it. I want you to be able to, you see those references, uh, I want you to know where you're going with it. I want you to know the doctrine of ruling and reigning contingent upon suffering for Jesus Christ and the Lord proving you and making you worthy of the kingdom of God. All right? And uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 13 to 27 is a great 
parable that connects in with this doctrine. It's a type. And it's a type of what you and I are going to see, uh, deal with, and go through at the judgment seat of Christ. You've got individuals in that parable. Let's go ahead and look at it. We've got time. I'm not in a hurry. You might be. I've, I've thought for a number of years that the pulpit needed to be like radio. You say, what does that mean? No dead air. That's showy stuff. Uh, if, if I never have a wrong reference or dead air, you got the wrong preacher, man. That's, that's Joel Osteen stuff, man. <laughs> you, you need a preacher that his wife has to give him the right reference. Amen. <laughs> Luke 19. I want you to see this. This is a type of what you and I are going to go through at the judgment seat of Christ. If you ever wonder what it's like standing at the judgment seat of Christ, this parable will give you a great look into that thing. 1937, 37. Um, is that the right one? I told you I need, need some that can't get the, is it nine? Is it 20? The pounds. 13. I said 37. Okay. Thank you. It's right on the board. I should read my notes. All right. All right, look at 11. Sorry, 11. As they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. You see the type right off the bat? That's the type of the Lord Jesus Christ leaving here. Lo, I go to prepare a place for you. And I'll come again to receive you unto myself. And he's coming back, right? All right, so look at 13. And he called his ten servants. Ten is a Gentile number, isn't it? Okay, so you can have, and Luke is, uh, has a lot of Gentile application there. So you, can, you and I can learn something from this. Uh, he, and delivered them ten pounds. You got ten servants, ten pounds, that's money. That's a British uh, monetary measurement. And he said unto them, uh, occupy till I come. So the practical application is this. The Lord has given every one of his sons and daughters something. He's given everyone the same. Now the administration's not the same. The application's not the same, but have you not all been given the same Holy Spirit? Right? And what does he want us to do? Sit around and wait for him to come back? He said occupy. Notice occupy, that's a, that's a verb, isn't it? Occupy, yeah. That's present tense, right? Occupy. Do something with what you got. All right, look at 14. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we'll not have this man to reign over us. Uh, no, that's 20. Y'all help, help me, Jesus. But his, Thank you. Citizens hated him and sent a message saying, uh, we'll not have this man to reign over us. It came to pass that when he was returned, he comes back, right? Having received the kingdom, millennial reign, right? You see the type and picture? I don't know how you read your Bible. That's how I read my Bible. I'm reading types here. And then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. You're thinking at this point, well, if the Lord gave them money, I wish the Lord give me some money. <laughs> All right, <clears throat> then came the first saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. All right, so he gives this uh, feller something, and he multiplies what he did ten times, right? Ten pounds, and he said unto him, 
uh, well, you didn't do it the way I wanted to. No, he said, well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And that's the type you want to see there. You want to rule and reign with Jesus Christ? Whatever he's given you, do something with it. Do something with it. Well, let's go on. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. Notice he didn't do quite as much, did he? You ever notice out here people, uh, maybe some preachers you esteem or some people in the ministry, and you notice they, they just seem to do this, do and do and do, and you're like, I can't, I can't. That's all I can do to get out of bed some days, <laughs> right? But he gained five pounds, and look what the Lord says. And, this, uh, and he said, likewise, him, be thou also over five cities. You notice he didn't condemn the man for not doing as much. Why? God knows your ability. God knows your aptitude. God knows what you can do. God knows what you can do. And God knows that one person might be able to do ten times as much. And God knows that some people he designed only do five times as much. And he gives them a, a rulership over five cities. And here's, here's the Laodicean Christian in verse 20. Another came saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. Now that shows you the picture of uh, the Christians today in this, this period that you and I live in. Bible-believing Christianity, they're doing, for the most part, very little to nothing with what God's given them, and they've taken everything, and they laid it up in a napkin. They got it. You can't lose it, right? So they got the very thing that God gave them, which is what? The Holy Spirit of God. And they put Him aside. They quench it. They cover it, right? Here it is, 21. For I feared thee. Well, that's a good thing. Because thou art an austere man. Sure is. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, yep, and reapest that thou didst not sow. Mm -hmm. And he saith unto him, this is the, 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 the Lord now, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping what I did not sow. Wherefore then thou gavest not thou my money into the bank. What's the bank? You think he really wants you to go down here? Now listen, I'm not against investing. If you got money, invest it, take care of yourself, be smart with it, amen? the more the merrier. But you know what the bank is in type? Bank's that box back there. That's the bank. Why? Local church is what God uses. It's a picture of all saved believers in this area. Now he says, uh, take that thing and put it in the bank, at least what? Yeah. He says, uh, he says that at my coming, I might have required mine own with usury. Let me give you the picture here. If all you're able to do as a Laodicean Christian is come and be faithful to what God wants you to do and stick something in that box, that type and picture there, you're going to get to glory and the Lord's going to say, look what I did with what you gave. There's that boy with the five, uh, five loaves and two fishes. Well, thank you. Man, I'm tripping this morning. <laughs> uh, loaves and fishing, amen? <laughs> and what he did, he gave what he had to the Lord. And the Lord multiplied it. You put your money in the bank. That box is the bank. You say, what does it do? Work in the ministry. Pay your preacher. Pay missionaries. Amen. And you get to glory. God's going to say, look at all the usury that you gained. Look at all the interest. Look at all the rewards that you gained just by giving the little bit that you had. That's the picture you want to look at. All right. <clears throat> Uh, wherefore then gavest not thou my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury? And he said unto them that stood by, Here it is, take from him that pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. 
And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. Look what the Lord says. For I say unto you that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. That's a picture of losing rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. And the way you rule and reign with Jesus Christ is simply to do the best you can to occupy and go out and do something with what God gave you. If God didn't give it to you, He doesn't expect you to do it. But if He gave it to you, man, do something for the Lord. And along with doing something for the Lord, back to that thing being kind of worthy, many times persecution and trouble is going to come by you doing exactly what God wants you to do with what He gave you. All right? And... uh, And that's a type of what's going to happen with you. If you've been faithful with what God has given you, if you've used it for Him, and you've done it with the right motive, think about it. As a child of God, uh, many of you are very, very talented. All right, And I'm not saying that to patronize you either. But there's some things that you all can do that I would never, ever, ever be able to do. I saw a man come over yesterday, and in a matter of minutes, uh, he mastered this trim stuff. And I'm like... I can't even think that way. I can't. You say, well, you're just kind of stupid. Some days, amen, you know. But here at my age, I know my limitations. I know what I can do. Now, I can still learn, not at the pace I used to. But when I see something that I cannot understand, say, what do you do? I call the boys. (laughs) Why? Because they generally can grasp a hold of that thing. I know what I can learn. But God's given some people a certain skill set, a certain ability. And think about it. As your pastor, I will never be able to minister to some people because I don't have the experience, I don't have the skill set, and I don't have the ability that you all have. And the fact that you're willing, maybe someday or sometime, to take time with some other brother and sister to give what you have, God will bless that thing. You can be a lot bigger help many times than I can be from a pulpit. But if you do, you're faithful, use it for him, use it with the right motive, and uh, you're going to find out the longer you live, there's a lot of people in ministry, in the church, they're doing things not with the right motive. Look at 2 Thessalonians 1.5. It took a long time, but I wanted to recap that doctrine of suffering and ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ. It's the most important doctrine And I hope you can grasp a hold of that thing. He says, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you suffer. And that thing's a hard thing, isn't it? And you don't hear a whole lot of preaching about it. It's almost like preachers are afraid if they start preaching about suffering, that it's going to come their way. Well, it may, it may not. The Bible says you're appointed unto affliction. They're coming whether you want them or not. It's part of the process. (laughs) But the Lord's finding out what you and I are worth, how? By putting you under pressure. Putting you under pressure. And I want you to think about this for a second. When you see a Christian who is acting a little bit off, a little bit out of character, you ever notice that? You see it in your home, right? Uh, You see it between your spouse and you. You see it in family members. They're just off. And you say this, what's your problem? You ever stop and think they're just under pressure? Just because you think you might be able to handle what they're dealing with? <laughs> they're under pressure. You ever just have one of them days, and man, you just feel like you're in that proverbial vice? Right, men? Amen. 
And you're like, how am I going to make it happen? How am I going to make it happen? I know what I'm going to do. You think everything in the world is rising and falling upon you and your ability to pay the bills or make the right decisions. And, you just, and all of a sudden, if you're not careful, if you're not careful, you don't have the right heart on that thing, you'll start acting out of character. Why? Pressure. God's trying to find out what you're worth. Pressure is a blessing, but I hate it. <laughs> it is. Pressure is a blessing. You see, when you go through the difficulties and the storms of Christian life, it's not to make you somebody. It's to reveal who you are. And when it starts raining like a rain that never ends, you're like, oh, we in trouble now. The Lord's just going, I want you to be able to see exactly what I see. And if you stay in his book long enough and you stay close to him long enough, you'll be able to see yourself exactly how God sees you. And like, man, I blew that thing right out of the water. But that's pressure. And the Lord puts us under pressure and persecution and tribulation many times to see what we're worth. Now listen, it's not always. Sometimes you and I just flop, amen? And then we do the cannonball on the short end of the pool and everybody gets hurt. Sometimes it's just bad decisions. Amen. If you don't think you make bad decisions, you, you're a liar at best. <clears throat> but what happens, in verse 5, you're put under pressure to see what you're worth. And look at verse 6. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. So if you suffer... And you do it right. That's a hard thing, isn't it? You're going to suffer one way or the other, but you're going to suffer and do it right. It gives God the right to allow you to reign with Him. But then, not only that, it also gives God the right to give tribulation to people who are messing with you. And you've got to be real careful about not instrumenting that yourself. You see what I mean? When you suffer right, and you go through it, and the heartache, and the tears, and the bitter silence, amen, and you do it right, and you allow God to put you uh, under the vice and put in the pressure of His mercy and His grace, it allows not only gives God the right to allow you to rule and reign with Him, but then if people are messing with you, it allows God to go after them. That's why you want to be real careful that you don't lash out, man, I'm... That's a work of progress with me, you know. You and I raised in America, land of the free, home of the braves, <laughs> right? <clears throat> and someone gets after you since you're an American, you want to rough them up a bit or at least let, you know, let them know that you can. Because after all, you ain't a man if you're not rough, tough, and hard to bluff. Well, when they, re- when they mess with the Lord, the Lord never reviled back. When they made Jesus Christ suffer, he didn't threaten them. You say, what is that? That's just American Bravo stuff. That's just Schwarzenegger, right? Stallone. That's Hollywood. John Cena. Or is he just one of them greased up little queer looking fellows there? Dwayne John, right? I'd hate to be some of them guys, man. You walk the wrong way and you cramp. (laughs) Fall over, you know. But what is that? That's not the Lord. And we've gone over this before. Passage you want to double check on that thing is Romans chapter 12. We've been through it a number of times. Romans 12, 17 to 19. So you've got to be careful. Remember, the Lord is the one that takes care of those things. And uh, you don't think too much about that when you're young because you feel pretty strong. But <laughs> once you start losing some of your strength, you realize that there's someone stronger than you. And you're like, I guess I just better give that to the Lord. Just better give it to the Lord. 
Well, they're, they're, they're not right. Well, I remember a few times in my life I wasn't right either. Yeah, I just, I just better lay off that thing and give it to the Lord, and maybe the Lord will deal with them. And maybe he won't. Maybe it's just I just need to learn to deal with it. You ever just stop and think the Lord's just trying you out sometimes to see how you're going to react? Was it over there in uh, uh, someone, one of my children showed me the other day? I think Chuck was showing me Second Chronicles um, uh, 34 or something like that. The Lord, it's, Bible says the Lord left Hezekiah to prove him. Now look, you and I, we can't lose the Lord, but some days he feels really close, don't he? What he does a lot of times is he steps away to see what you're going to do. Are you going to hyperventilate? Are you going to do what it takes to get back and get close to him? You see what I mean? All right, so uh, you got to be careful. Remember, the Lord takes care of those things, and you just do right and suffer for the cause of Christ. And, uh, but the Lord will get them. Amen? The Lord will get them. And that's the right attitude to have. Give your enemies to the Lord. And uh, if you are right in what you did, and you're doing things that you should be doing, and someone messed with you or created a problem for you, you ever have that happen? You're doing right, and someone creates a problem? Well, the Lord will straighten it out then. But he won't do it in your time frame. <laughs> That's a hard thing because most of us want to see it happen like now so you can go, I knew that was going to happen. Right. Why? Because you really want to be the instrument of vengeance. <laughs> uh, but the Lord will straighten it out. Notice uh, this, what he says in the, uh, verse 7, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. Paul says, hey, take it easy. Rest with us. Everything is going to be okay. The Lord is going to fix that thing up between now and the millennial reign. You will not go out in the millennial reign with bitterness against your brothers. He's going to get it all fixed up. All right. Now notice in verse 7 there's a comma here. And we'll start looking at this and be done. And you've got to stop at the comma and recognize that beyond that comma in verse 7 is the second advent of Jesus Christ. And why this is important is because this is a verse that many uh, individuals, many people who are heretics by nature, they use to try to teach that the church is going through the tribulation when, in fact, it isn't. Look at the rest of the verse after the common, verse 7. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. That is the second advent of Jesus Christ when he comes back with you and I if we've suffered with him, all right? And what separates the first part of the verse from that comma and the second part is a number of years. And in your Bible, you'll learn that punctuation often separates by a number of years. I'll look at verse 8. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so this church is being persecuted, isn't it? It's experiencing tribulation. They're having some difficulty with things, and Paul is promising this church that the Lord will take care of it sooner or later. Church, I want to assure you that no matter what trouble we've gone through together as a church body, no matter all the irritations and frustrations and misunderstandings and miscommunications, that the Lord will straighten it out sooner or later. And it's not always done this side of glory. That's why the old preacher said, he said, uh, he said heaven is a place for answers, earth is a place for trust. Earth is a place for trust. But I want you to see Paul's promising this church that the Lord's going to take care of it sooner or later in verse 7. But what he does, he backs out and he gives them the eternal picture in verse 7 and 8. 
He backs out after that comma, after saying, look, God's going to take care of it. And then Paul gives you that eternal picture. He says, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. You see that? So you can't guarantee that your trouble is going to get solved this year. (laughs) But you know when it is going to be solved? The second coming of Jesus Christ is going to be solved. When you go through that thing, it'll be solved. And he says, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his what? Mighty angels. Now, uh, uh, where that thing ties up is look at Matthew 22. Who are those mighty angels? Well, can I tell you this? It's you. It's you if you suffered for Jesus Christ. Look at uh, Matthew 22.30. Matthew 22.30. I'll show you a couple verses on this. Bible says in Matthew chapter 22, verse 30. If you suffered uh, for Jesus Christ, uh, you're coming back with him. And, uh, and that's who he's talking about there, 2230. Uh, the Bible says, uh, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as, as the angels of God in heaven. You see that? That's you and me. Uh, go to Revelation 19. I'll show you this. Another place, Revelation 19. When Jesus Christ comes back at the second of Advent, here Paul says he comes back with his mighty angels, and that is all the church-age saints that come with him uh, that have suffered for Jesus Christ. Now you're only going to get that if you're going to run the references you're going to study. Revelation 19, 14. Uh, Back to 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. In righteousness he did judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. There's the flame. And on his head were many crowns. Where'd he get them? I think he got them at the judgment seat of Christ when you cast them at his feet. And he had a name written on him that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And that's why they don't know his name. Because they don't know his word. Look at 14. Here it is. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. You see that? Those armies, those are the mighty angels Paul's talking about. And that's you if you've suffered for Jesus Christ. You're coming back with him at the uh, second advent. Uh, Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. A couple more verses. We'll call it good. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 8. Verse 8. Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 1 in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll stop with this, but notice that there's two types of individuals that when the Lord comes back at the second advent, he takes vengeance on. Uh, number one, them that know not God. That's your agnostic, all right? And uh, you know how you spot an agnostic? By a speech. Uh, he'll say something like this. Uh, I, I don't deny that there's a God. Uh, uh, there may be. I just, I just don't know. <laughs> what he is is he's nothing more than a polite atheist. And the second one, verse 8, uh, them that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll pick this up tonight and go into that gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and this group of individuals not obeying it. All right, we'll stop there in verse 8. <clears throat>